people what is something that they regret, almost 100% of the time, it's not starting sooner. Welcome back to Crushing It in Real Estate. I'm your host, Joanne Tan, and today we have a special guest from St. Louis with over 15 years of experience. Now, you might be thinking like, okay, Joanne, I'm looking at the cover photo for this podcast, and he looks quite young. How does he have 15 (laughs) years of experience under his belt already? Well, that's because he started real estate investing when he was in college at the age of 20. So I'm super excited to bring on today's guest, David Dodge, who specializes in wholesaling real estate. David and his team have wholesaled over 500 houses to date, and his company, Household Easy, averages about 8 to 10 wholesales a month. David also fixes and flips properties and has over 60 rentals in his portfolio, and he's aiming for 150 properties in the next 24 to 36 months. So without further ado, hi, David. Hi, thanks for having me. Thanks for being on the show. Yes, absolutely. All things real estate, that's what I like to talk about. So I think I'm in the right place, and I think that we have a good audience for uh, my message. So again, I'm happy to be here. I'm grateful for you to have me on your show. And uh, my goal would be to just provide as much value as I can to all the listeners and the viewers. That's amazing. Why don't we get off started and let the listeners know how you got into real estate at such a young age? Absolutely. So I started investing in real estate when I was uh, in college. I was 20 years old. I'm 35 today. So it was about 15 years ago. Um, I did a commonly known real estate investing strategy called house hacking. When I was in college, um, I bought a four bedroom single family home, moved into one of the rooms and rented out the other three basically broke even on that property. Um, I didn't know anything about discounted properties or motivated sellers back then. So I just had a buddy who was an agent uh, find me a house. I paid retail and I um, was in college. So I had a couple part-time jobs. Um, But again, I didn't know much about real estate at that time. Um, So I went and I got a normal conventional loan where you have to put down 20%. I didn't have 20% to put down. I borrowed that from my friends and my family to actually um, have the 20%, right? And then I had to get uh, some people, like relatives, family members, co-sign on the loan as well because I didn't have any credit or anything, right? So I basically found it. I paid retail via an agent, but I knew this is what I wanted to do. And I borrowed the 20% and then I got a loan from the, for the other 80%. So it was 100% financing essentially, right? Uh, so I had 100% of it borrowed. Um, and, but I, I moved in, I bought it and I rented it out to the, the other three rooms. And that basically covered the mortgage. And my goal over the next two or three years was to pay back the 20%. So I just had the bank loan. And I was able to do that. Um, it actually took me like four or five years, but the reason it took me four or five instead of three is because I did that three times. Meaning I went and I bought three houses and borrowed the money to put down, got loans, got co-signers. There is no excuse. If you want to do something and you want to get invested in real estate and buy some houses, there's zero excuses. You don't have the money. Well, guess what? I didn't either. Period. I didn't have it. I went and figured it out. I borrowed it. There's hard money lenders. There's private lenders. There's other people that will work with you. It doesn't have to be friends or family, but that's what I did, right? So long story short, through college, I bought three houses, got loans on all three, had co-signers on all three, rented out the other rooms. And if I was living in the, the place, it would essentially break even. If I didn't live there and I rented out all of the rooms, I would typically be cash flowing two, three, four hundred a month. Um, and I did that three times in college. After college, I went to school for financial planning and real estate, but I didn't want to do like traditional real estate. Uh, after college, I had a couple jobs that were just sales and marketing. And I always thought real estate was a great place to just park your money, um, especially due to the fact that you can get leverage when you buy, but also you can rent out and you can have somebody else pay it off. Uh, you may or may not cash flow, 
um, but then you get tax advantages. So there's like so many advantages in real estate, right? You can use leverage, you get tax advantages, somebody else is paying it off, you can even cash flow. But to me, it's never really even been like a cash flow game until recently. It's always just been like, just put all the money towards the mortgage every month. It's just a vehicle for saving. I'm so bad at saving money, guys. Like the worst, like terrible, right? Um, but with real estate, if I could save up enough to just buy something or get a loan and use that as a down payment, then I could have savings on autopilot. Somebody else would be paying it off for me. So that's always kind of been the goal. So, you know, from the age of 20 to about the age of 30, I was basically, you know, buying one property a year, maybe one every other year, depending on how, how well I could save up the, the, the 20%. But I didn't know anything about, you know, and motivated sellers or wholesalers, any of that, right? And, um, but I had these random jobs. So to speed things up, when I was about 30, this is five years ago, I said, I'm gonna do real estate full-time. I'm gonna learn the ins and outs of investing. I'm kind of an investor, because I, at the time I owned eight or nine houses. But like, again, I paid retail, like, you know, it was the worst way to go about investing. It really was, right? But I was like, I'm gonna do this full-time, I thought about getting my agent license and I'm like, that just seems like a lot of work. I'd rather be the owner anyway. I don't want to represent people. Not that that's a bad thing, but I just had different focuses and I started researching and I came across wholesaling and I learned a little bit about it. I even went and hired a coach and he taught me how to do it. And um, basically that was about five years ago. And ever since then, I have not paid retail or near retail for a property. And I have flipped about 500 houses in the last five years from the knowledge that I learned about wholesaling. All right. Um, I then wrote a book with my partner and it's on Amazon and it's called the ultimate guide to wholesaling real estate. And we teach everything in this book that we do in our own business, um, how to market to the motivated sellers, how to run appointments, how to determine comps, ARVs, MAOs, all these things, um, and how to teach people how to do it. So long story short, I've been investing for 15 years, but I've been full-time five. In the first 10, I didn't know anything about creative financing or buying and selling properties with none of your own money, or I didn't even know that motivated sellers existed, right? But now what I do is I focus on motivated seller marketing direct to them. I rarely buy off the MLS, maybe one in 15 houses that we purchase. And in the last two years in a row, we bought about 100 houses each year. Um, but you know, typically one in 15 is listed, maybe less. So I, I don't wanna say none, because there's a couple, but most are off market, they're direct to seller. And the beautiful thing about buying property at a discount, which again, I didn't know for the first 10 years, is it opens up all the doors. When you have a deal, you can wholesale that deal or you can take it for yourself and rehab it and flip it or add it to your portfolio. There's basically three big doors that open. There's a lot of little ones like lease options and all this other stuff, right? But the three big doors are wholesale, fix and flip or rental. None of those doors are really open to you if you don't have a deal. Like you have to force it somehow, right? But if you can find a property for 50, 60, 70 cents on the dollar, all those doors open up. So that's the name of the game to me is finding the motivated sellers, finding the deals and then getting those deals. And then my company, we have a simple and kind of funny little motto around here. And it just basically goes, keep the best and sell the rest. And that's it. It's that simple. So as the deals come in, the best of the best. We're going to keep them and we're going to fix and flip them if they have huge spreads so they look like fun, easy projects, or we're going to add them into the portfolio of rentals. We're going to keep the best ones for ourselves. But what we're going to do with all the rest of these leads that come in of deals that we get under contract at 60, 70 cents on a dollar, we're going to wholesale. And if you don't understand or know what wholesaling is, I think you had mentioned that a lot of your audience are agents and whatnot. Wholesaling is flipping paperwork, essentially. Um, 
most of the time I don't buy the house before I sell it. I do it simultaneously. So I'll go out and I'll make an offer on a property, not as an agent, as an investor. I'm the principal. And I'll say, yeah, I'll give you 80 grand, you know, or maybe asking 150. And if they're motivated enough, they'll say yes. And then I take that contract to the marketplace and I'll sell it for some, to somebody for 90 grand. And I'll basically get pay 10,000 to just hand them a contract. I may have to double close it. That's going to cost a little bit. So I'll maybe only make eight or nine. But traditionally, I can assign these contracts. And that's just flipping paper, really. Um, and we teach people how to do it. Again, we, we wrote the book, The Ultimate Guide to Wholesale and Real Estate. We also have a companion course that we give away. If you don't want to buy the book, I get it. I, I'm not even here to sell you that. Uh, go check out freewholesalecourse.com. Literally, that's the easiest domain freewholesalecourse.com. And there's a free course about three hours long and it teaches you what wholesaling is, how it works, and you know how you can get involved doing it too. It's, it's actually really quite simple. But again, to me, uh, it opens up all the doors. We talked about that, right? You get a deal on a property, all the doors open up. Well, my passion is passive income. I like having rentals. I have about 65 of them today. Every one of them cash flows two, three, maybe 400 bucks a month. Um, you know, we're bringing in roughly 15K a month right now in passive income. And I like to triple that, to be honest with you. So we wrote a second book and that one is called The Burr Method. You guys have probably heard of it. This is on Amazon as well. But what this method does is it teaches you how to buy a house with none of your own money, fix it up, get it rented, Go find a bank that will lend you on an appraisal, not on your cost sheets. That's very important. It has to be an appraisal. And you can refinance your private or hard money lender out, which allows you to get into owning the asset with none of your own money. And we've done that about 100 times in the last 15 months. Um, so, you know, my message is, and that's, that's kind of who I am. Uh, again, I've been doing it full time for five years, flipped about 500 houses have 65 rentals. Currently, I want to get to about 150, maybe 200. Um, but it all starts with finding motivated sellers. And that's really the point. The first 10 years, I thought I was a real estate investor. I kind of was. I mean, I owned real estate and I was investing, but I was paying retail and getting normal, like getting traditional bank loans that required 20% down, which limits you. That, that's a huge barrier to entry. Unless you have unlimited money, right? You got to save it, earn it and save it first. Um, and, but over the last five, I realized that there's a whole nother way to go about being an investor and flipping houses. You know, like I, I rehab anywhere from three to five at a time, sometimes as many as 10. I think, I think the most we ever had going at once was 14. Um, usually average five, five, six, seven. And, you know, we're rehabbing the flip and we're rehabbing the rentals. And that's the beautiful thing about the Burr method. Not only do you buy somebody else's money and, you know, go through that process and get it refied, but you have to increase the value of that home for that to work. So half of that is, um, you know, buying at a discount. The other half is rehabbing it. So the cool thing about, you know, the properties that we add to the portfolio via the Burr method is they're typically freshly updated newer home, not newer homes but like newer updates on those homes so they have newer roofs newer hvacs newer windows you know newer uh, cabinets and appliances they're not necessarily adding these old rentals to the portfolio because the bank when they want to lend you money on these they want to see that you increase the value and did a rehab because it reduces their risk if they have to foreclose so i know i'm kind of talking in circles here um but I love real estate investing and, you know, I love teaching people. Obviously, I wrote the two books and created the free course. Um, but really, I just, my, my, my main, uh, I think my main message today would be learn how to find motivated sellers, learn how to market to them because all of the doors will open up for you if you have a deal. If you don't have a deal, none of the doors are open or you're going to have to force your way through one which often means you are going to be risking a lot and you may or may not make money. So, you know, I, now that I know motivated sellers exist and I talk to several of them a week, we do a lot of marketing. Um, you know, I will never go pay retail for a property ever again, unless it's something I want to live in personally. 
because there's no reason to pay retail when you can pay 60, 70 cents on the dollar all day long. So that's the message that I have today. Yeah, what an amazing message, David. And, you know, most of the people I talk to wish they started sooner. And it sounds like for you, you wish you had stumbled upon wholesaling sooner, huh? Yeah, if I would have known about wholesaling at the age of 20 and not at the age of 30, I'd have 200 properties right now, (laughs) without a doubt, you know. But that's okay. I'm 35 with 65 properties. So by 40, I should have at least 150 to 200. That's kind of the goal. We'll see. You know, who knows? Things could happen. You know, coronavirus definitely threw a big wrench in everybody's life for a few months and still still going forward. But we're still buying and rehabbing. It, it hasn't really slowed us down all that much. I shouldn't say completely because projects got delayed and city permitting offices were closed and you got to work around that. But uh, yeah, we're still buying and selling. And, you know, people always are going to have to have a place to live. Um, I don't own, I own a couple commercial properties, but most of the properties I own are single family residential or, you know, duplexes or quads, right? They're all, they're mostly residential and no matter what happens with the economy or the pricing, people got to have a roof over their head, period. Like that's one thing that you can't take away is shelter, you know, like it's either too hot or it's too cold or there's insects and you know, animals that you got to have shelter. It's not going to go away. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it, the way I look at it is, you know, owning rental property is a very secure asset. Definitely a hundred percent. And I want to get into all of that finding motivated sellers, buying properties at discounts and using creative financing. But I just want to take the listeners on a, on a journey that kind of mimics the same timeline that you had, right? You were house hacking at 20 and you said you knew that this is what you wanted to do, which is kind of surprising. You know, most 20 year olds aren't thinking about how they want a real estate portfolio of their own. How did you come about that realization? You know, I read Rich Dad Poor Dad when I was 20. I was in college, maybe even before that. But I, I, um, I, I read it again in college. I know that. And I actually was in, you know, real estate and finance classes. And I've always liked math, but I don't I like, I mean, I should say I always liked it because it was an enjoyable subject for me. But I knew that I didn't want to like go into that as a career of like just doing math all day, like being an accountant and our financial analyst, like that just seems like miserable. And that's basically half of the investing. The other half of it is real estate. So I was like, I'm turning that way. And, um, and I also had a professor in college that was a landlord and a big proponent of the rich dad, poor dad. So I kind of, kind of, you know, just started listening to him and he seemed to have it all figured out. And uh, like I said, I was like, cool, I'm going to do real estate. Now he didn't teach me about motivated sellers or about all this wholesaling stuff. Um, or the Burr method or fix and flip. He didn't teach me any of that. He just was a landlord. So I knew that that's what I wanted to be. But again, I really wish I would have learned about motivated sellers and wholesaling 10 years earlier. That's for sure. Yeah, you definitely seem very, very passionate about the subject. And like you really want to teach and share it with other people, probably because you wish you had discovered it sooner. That's exactly why. Yeah, absolutely. But you know, it's okay. I really enjoy this business. I like being a landlord. Um, I like, um, I like fixing and flipping properties and I love wholesaling, right? Wholesaling is just so easy. You get a property under contract, you market that contract for sale, you sell it, you get paid. Somebody else gets a property that they can then rent out or rehab. A seller is able to get rid of a problem. I mean, you're basically creating a triple win every time you do a wholesale deal, ideally, right? Um, even, yeah, that's huge. Like, yeah, so we, we, we usually do eight or 10 a month, right? Uh, last, what is today? Monday, last week on Thursday, we closed one. A seller sold us a rental property and he brought 11 grand to the table. It was rented already too. He didn't want it anymore. He owed, I can't remember what he owed. I think it was like 61 and my offer was 50 grand. It was rented at, uh, I think, almost $800 a month. And he said, well, I owe more than that. And I said, well, you can hold on to it then. I don't need to buy your house, sir. 
you called me because you wanted an offer and I gave you one, 50K. And I wasn't rude. That's not my intentions, but I'm very firm, right? And I said, I would love to buy your home for 50,000, but that's as much as I can pay you. And he was tired of being a landlord and he literally paid $11,000 at the closing table to get rid of that house. I told him that I didn't need it. He didn't need to sell that to me, right? But that's how bad he wanted out. That's the definition of a motivated seller. That house, I could probably put 10 or 15 grand into it and get it appraised for 90. And it's gonna, that's what we're gonna do. It's a bird deal. So we borrowed the 50K from a private lender. I think we actually borrowed 60 because we need 10 more to put a roof and windows on this place. And then that's it. It's already rented. I don't have to even go do that. And then we'll take it to the bank and get an appraisal. And then we'll pay back the 60 from the private lender and we'll add it to the portfolio with a 20 year long-term loan, low rate, and it'll be cash flowing two or 300 bucks a month. And that's, yeah, that's, that's awesome. it right there. That's amazing. So we do that, you know, two, three, four times a month sometimes. And, you know, it's just a better a way to get into owning assets than it is to try to save 20 or 30 grand to go get a loan for the other 60, 70 to buy the 90, 100K house, right? Um, and have all that money in it. And, and if, you're, if you don't live in the Midwest where, where I live, I'm in St. Louis, right? If, if you live in, you know, New Jersey, New York, uh, California, you may be looking at the average home price of three, five, seven hundred K, depending on where you're at. Um, and that changes a lot of things, right? Uh, but where I'm at, I'm in the Midwest. You know, the average home value is maybe 80 to 100 K in most of the neighborhoods that I'm investing in. So it, it works. But again, it's, it depends where you live, too. Right. So how do people find these motivated sellers? Because it's such a difference when you're talking to someone who's motivated to sell you versus someone who's not, right? Like you said, this guy brought like 11K to the table. That's to right. To sell That's his right. own property. So let's talk about motivated sellers for a second, guys. And again, I go through this all in the free wholesale course. So check that out. Um, it's absolutely free. Um, but motivated seller basically means that you are motivated to sell your property and you are more willing to like an offer that's convenient to you versus high, okay? So most people are gonna say, well, the best offer is always the highest offer. Well, maybe, if you don't need the money today, right? Um, typically, the highest offer is gonna be the best offer. But when you're dealing with real estate, real estate is not very liquid, okay? And when I say not very liquid, like four or five months typically, maybe a little less, let's say maybe three to four months, somewhere in that range, is gonna typically be how long it's gonna take to sell and close and get your money on a piece of real estate, right? Traditionally speaking, you're gonna hire an agent, right, or list it for sale by owner, it's going to sit for a week or two or three or five. Then somebody's going to come in and make you an offer. It's going to be a, probably a little lower or maybe a lot lower than what you're asking. You figure out that, negotiate it, come to an agreement. They then bring in an inspector and an appraiser and have to go talk to their bank. All this takes time, right? You're looking at two, three, maybe four months, right? Well, what I do is I can say I can close it in two to three weeks, right? But like I said earlier, I don't need it. So I'm going to make an offer, right? And, and basically the offer is comprised of three things, guys, three things. Cash means I don't need to go to the bank. I don't need an appraisal and I don't need to waste a bunch of time. Number two is as is, right? As is means that you don't have to do any work or cleaning, no yard cleanup, no inside cleanup, no fixing of anything. In fact, you can leave all the shit, pardon my language, but you can leave it all behind. I don't care because I'm going to typically be gutting it anyway. And that's just convenience for them. So I said cash as is was actually number two. And then the third thing is quick. That's the offer. It's quick. You want to do this in two to three weeks? We can do that. You don't have to wait two to three months. All right. So what am I doing? I'm offering them a lot of convenience and that's it. My entire business is finding people that need that convenience. And in return, I require a discount. 
In fact, I demand a discount. Why would I want to go out of my way to pay somebody cash, buy their property as is, and it probably needs a ton of work, most of them do, and do it quick if I can't get a deal? There's no reason anybody would do that. No reason. And I tell them that I am very transparent with everybody I talk to. A, I'm an investor. I don't pay retail. And B, I don't need to buy your house. However, for the right price, we can get it done. And I'm very clear. I'm very transparent with people, right? And I tell them, you can get more money selling to somebody else. Almost every time I do a deal with somebody, I say, you know that you can get more money but I can't guarantee you when that would be. It may be three months, it may be 30 months. I don't know. But if you work with me, I can get you what I'm gonna offer you in two to three weeks, period. And that's it. And a lot of people don't like that because I'm overly transparent and they say, I'm gonna go try to get more money. And I say, great, I don't care. If you can get more, I'm happy for you. But what ends up happening is half the time they go try and they don't get it sold and they waste two or three months, and then they come back and they say, is that offer still good? And usually it is. So I'm not forcing people to sell them to me. I'm just offering them an awesome, awesome level of convenience, and in exchange, I demand a discount. And that's the business, guys. It is that simple. We can stop right here. We don't even need to go into any more detail because it's that simple. Now, there's more steps involved, but that's it. So I'm very clear and I tell them, I don't pay retail. I don't need your house. But if you want it to go quick as is and be so convenient that I'll even send a notary to your house so you don't even have to get up to sign the docs, we'll do that. Convenience is the name of the game. And that's the value that I have. So I know I didn't answer your question and I'm going to do that now. What do these motivated sellers look like? I defined um, how. Now let's talk about what they look like. Well, this is simple, guys. Think about somebody that doesn't want to waste time. They need their money now. This looks like, or they just don't want to. Maybe they just would rather have it done and not have to deal with the appraisers and the inspectors and the negotiating and the agents and the commissions and the time and the, and the what ifs and the, oh my God, I got to go do this now and all that stuff. They just do it simply and easily. So these people look like anybody that has recently got divorced. They've experienced a death and they've inherited a property. Somebody that has a disease. Maybe they're moving into a nursing home. Maybe it's people having children that need to move out of their home. Uh, maybe children are leaving the home and they want to downsize their home. It could be both ways, children in and out. But typically, death, divorce, and disease are going to be what's the most motivated people. Now, we also reach out to people that have high equity. We reach out to people that have back taxes or are late on their mortgage payments, the pre-foreclosures. We reach out to people that um, have code violations by the forestry department or the water department or the local municipality because they have tall weeds. We do a lot of driving for dollars, which basically means we get in our car and we drive up and down neighborhoods that we like and want to buy in. And we find the shittiest houses on the street with trees growing out of the gutters, grass two feet tall and broken down cars in the driveway. I just painted a picture of a perfect house that when you contact the seller, they're going to be motivated. Now, it's not always the home that's the motivation. Sometimes it's the person. So there's basically two different types of motivated seller. There's a motivated seller where the, where the problem is the house, or there's a motivated seller where the problem is with the person, but they own a house that by selling it can help them get money to solve the other problem. Mm -hmm. So regardless of the problem, I can hopefully help them in some way, shape, or form if they have a piece of real estate that they're willing to sell at a discount because like I said earlier, I'm going to provide a crazy level of convenience, right? You can put yeah. me up to any, any real estate agent out there and I'm going to be able to provide more convenience than I told you from the get-go, I can't pay as much as what they may promise, but here's the difference. They're not buying it. 
They're just saying, hey, this is what I think we should list it for. I think we could sell it quick. Well, think, think, think. When I come in, I say, I'm the buyer. I am offer. I'm not thinking about offering you. I am offering you to buy this. And if you like my offer, we can be done in two to three weeks. So there's, the, there's that convenience. If price is the biggest issue, I cannot help them. And I tell them that from the beginning because I value my time more than anything else at this point. And I don't want to waste it dealing with an unmotivated seller or a tire kicker. I'll make them an offer. And and if they like it, great. 97% of the time, they're not going to like it. And I'm going to follow up with them. Right? But if they if they all of a sudden, and a lot of our leads come from people that don't like the offer, but in three or four months, they like the convenience, right? Literally, I'd say 75% of the deals we do, they come in somehow, either we pay to put our message in front of somebody via online advertising, radio advertising, direct mail, cold texting, whatever it might be, or we reach out to them via cold calling, direct mail, all these other things, right? Regardless though, when we talk to somebody for the first time, typically we tell them, hey, this is the range that we're willing to pay. And they're going to say, oh, that's, that's stupid, crazy low. We say, we get it, but we don't need to buy it, right? We know you can get more. In fact, we hope you do. But when you need to sell quick, we're here. Call us back. Mm-hmm. No hard right. feelings. And 75% of the time, this happens. They call in, we make them an offer, they laugh, they hang up, they tell us to go kick our, a, a rock. <laughs> and then two or three months later, either we call them back or they call us back and they say, you know, that offer doesn't sound so bad because again, it's not always about the number. Yeah. Right? Well, the for number matters. Sellers, it's usually they have some kind of pain, right? And they have a whether pain it's their point. personal or their house is a pain, you are it alleviating that. It doesn't pain mean for them. That, that the pain is the number. Typically, you know, sometimes people um, they just don't want to deal with the with the overhead, the, the, the liability, the taxes. You know, they just don't want to deal with it or they don't want to be a landlord. Maybe they thought they did and they don't anymore. We buy a lot of houses from tired landlords and, and we find them by calling properties that are listed for rent. Literally, go on Zillow, go on Craigslist, go on Facebook Marketplace, find single family homes that are for rent in your neighborhood. And you call those people and you say, I am not calling because I want to rent. Sorry, if that's why you think I'm calling. I want to buy. Do you want to sell? That's it, guys. It's not hard. That simple. And if they say, yeah, I'd consider selling. And you say, okay, well, it looks like it's worth about 100. Would you take 65 grand for it? Cash quick, right? And they're going to, 97% of the time, they're going to say no. Mm-hmm. But 3% of the time, they're going to say yes. So that's, this is a numbers game, right? Right. You got to do a lot of prospecting and a lot of marketing and a lot of cold calling. I just got off of a three-hour cold call that I recorded live on my YouTube. So I don't know when this will publish, but go look David Dodge up on YouTube and you can see me cold calling, sharing my screen, for three hours. I just did it for the first time today and I'd like to start doing it weekly. That's awesome. Just to, just to show people what it's like. I do it on my own anyway, but I don't usually live stream it like that. Uh, right. But, but you know, what fun. it comes down to is marketing to these sellers though. It's either you get your message in front of them by paying for it or you get your message in front of them by trading your time. Mm-hmm. So you have some ways to find these properties, right? Marketing, driving for pro- for dollars or calling properties that are listed for rent. But since you've invested all this time to find these deals, I think one of the things is following up, right? Follow up. Is Absolutely. Key. Follow up is key. So I told you earlier, you know, 75% of the time people don't like our offer, you know, more than that, 90% of the time, right? The average deal that we do closes four to six months after initial contact. And that initial contact was when we spoke. We may have touched that person with mailers or voicemails or text messages um, or whatever multiple times before we even can get them on the phone. When we get them on the phone, it usually takes four to six months. 
And the reason is because sometimes you can tell them the value you provide, but they don't see value in it yet. So there's this thing about motivation. Motivation comes and goes very rapidly. It's not like I'm not motivated today and tomorrow I'll be a little more motivated and then the next day I'll be a little more. No, I'm not motivated until I'm motivated. Something in my life has to happen that all of a sudden I'm motivated. Well, what does that look like? Death, divorce, disease, maybe getting a tax bill for seven grand and you don't have it. Well, I guess I could sell the property. That's a solution. Now I'm motivated. I wasn't, I'm not slightly more motivated. I am motivated. You either are or you're not, right? We're looking for people that are motivated. So most people that we talk to aren't motivated. They're just curious and we're happy to talk to these people, right? And we're happy to make them an offer and let them know that we don't need to buy their house, but we will and we'll provide it and make it easy, provide a ton of convenience and make it extremely easy for them. At our number though, it's going to be what we offer, not what you're asking. This is what we're, we're offering. And then we follow up, like you said, and we follow up. And our average follow up is every other week for four to six months until we can call them on the day, either the day of or the day after, or ideally as, as close to the day that all of a sudden they're motivated. So think about your own life. There's 365 days in a year. We don't usually have 365 grand days in a year, right? You're going to have two or three or five bad, shitty days where nothing goes your way. It happens to everybody. So the goal for us would be to find these people on the day they're motivated and help them solve a problem. We're not looking for these houses for free or for them to give them away. I know my value, guys, and I demand a discount. But I'm not just offering people, you know, to buy their house and get a big discount for nothing. I am providing them a crazy amount of value because basically, if you look at it this way, a wholesaler, which is what I am, an investor, but a wholesaler, we are the liquidity makers. There's nobody else out there, especially an agent that can do it as quick as me because they're not the buyer. They're the representative for the buyer or the seller, right? They can make promises, but they aren't the one doing it. We are, and I'm just not just saying me, any and every wholesaler slash investor, we are the liquidity makers. So it's so simple. We provide a high level of convenience and we demand a discount. And that's what it's all about. Finding those motivated sellers, and again, they're not going to be always be motivated. Some of them might take five years. I've been doing this for five years. The average, and I only have five years of data, but the average is four to six months. But that doesn't mean that I don't close a deal next week that I initially made contact with when I first started five years ago. We have a crazy large system of people that are in there that are getting followed up with. Some of them aren't getting called every week or every other week. Some of them might not get a call for 18 months, but they're in the system and we follow up until that house sells to us or to somebody else. And we automate a lot of it with the use of virtual assistants. Yes. You mentioned system and automation. And I was wondering, you know, be, being able to do eight to 10 wholesales a month, I'm wondering, you must have some systems in place and automation to be able to handle all that. Plus all of your own rental properties to stay organized. Like what does that look like for you? And what can our listeners take away to probably implement in their own investing? Yeah, you got to get a team. That's the most important thing. Nobody could do all of that. That just sounds crazy and depressing, to be quite honest. It's just over, overwork. We have a property manager, two of them actually, for all of the rental property. I don't want to deal with the people. I want to deal with the property. So that alleviates a whole lot of work. No more leasing, no more maintenance. We do handle the maintenance, but we're not taking the calls. We just dispatch our guys. We have the crews, right? I want to deal with the property, not the people. So I've outsourced the management. I also have a team. It's me. I have two business partners. I have two acquisition people that work for me, about to be three. One full-time disposition person and then two, actually correct myself, three virtual assistants. So I have a team. And... Most of my team is working on acquisitions. 
They're working on new leads or marketing or cold calling to, to, to meet new people and get new people in the system so we can then follow up and catch them on that day where their motivation is high. Now, I'm not saying that you can't do cold calling for four hours, two hours, three hours, whatever it might be, and find somebody that's motivated today. It happens all the time, right? But 97, 98% of all the people that you're talking to aren't going to be motivated today. That doesn't mean that they can't turn into a deal later. And that's where the follow-up comes into to play here. So we do eight to 10 deals a month on a good month more. Um, you know, one or two of those will be leads that came in that month. We got under contract that month and we sold that month. One or two, that's it. The other seven, eight, nine, ten are leads that we've had in the system for four to six months on average. Some could be two months, some could be 36 months, right? It's an average game, but they're leads that we're closing from following up. All of a sudden, this guy's girlfriend's pregnant and he's married. Well, shit, his life's going to be wrecked, but he's going to be able to solve some problems really quickly by selling this property. He knows he can go get more money for listing it, but he might not have time, right? And there's, and I, we've only talked about a couple motivational factors, but like, think about somebody that may be going to jail. They need to sell it and close and get paid so they can give that money to somebody or invest it or whatever. I mean, these things happen every day. People don't like to talk about them, but somebody's got to help these people in some way, shape or form. And I know there's a lot of people listening and watching right now. Not a lot. There's a few. There always is. And they say, wow, you're just taking advantage of people. That's not true at all. I don't need to buy any of these houses, guys. Why? None of them. And I tell you from the get-go, you can get more money elsewhere. My convenience factor is time. We can make it so incredibly easy for you. You don't need to leave your house. You don't need to clean. You don't need to throw anything away or make any repairs. I'm going to do all that. I'm going to pay cash. And if you're not familiar with how valuable paying cash is, it's not my cash. It never is. It's always somebody else's, right? But what I mean by that is I don't have to go appease a lender and get an appraisal and an inspection. And if the inspection comes back, I don't need to come to you and try to renegotiate. It's already calculated into the offer because I'm getting it at such a low price. And I do all of that and I shrink those time frames down to like three, four, five days versus 20, 30, 40 days. So it's so convenient for people because it's just, it's less that they have to do. And we're happy to do the extra work, but in return, like I said, I said it five, six times, I'm going to say it again. I demand a discount. Why would I want to go pay retail for a property when I can get them at a discount? I've done it 500 times already. Mm -hmm. and you you can do this them, too. It's not hard. Getting them at a discount opens doors for you, right? So now you have the option to, like you said, keep the best and sell the rest. So what does that process look like for you to determine which ones are you going to keep and which ones are you going to hand off? It's a great question. So best is defined by the current amount of money I have in my checking account. So Best could mean, well, hey, the account's low. I need some money to pay the guys in the next couple of weeks. So that just means wholesale, right? If I have a lot of money and uh, a lot of lean, like, you know, runway, well, then I need more rentals. I'm always looking for rentals. So let's put the good ones into the rental portfolio. If it's, uh, a, you know, something that doesn't need a ton of work but has good potential for a fix and flip, then that might be best. So, I mean, typically best means like, you know, biggest um, spread, but it changes. So when we say keep the best, sell the rest, hey, what's the best use of this property today? If I need 50 grand, you know, um, a fix and flip might be a good choice with the property, but that's going to take six or eight months, right? But if I need 10 today, then the wholesale might make sense. So it just kind of varies, but typically, all the marketing that we're doing is marketing for properties that we want to buy. So we're not marketing in neighborhoods that we're not buying in. Sometimes we'll, it'll land there, right? With the radio, you can't control. It's like 50 miles in every direction, right? So you'll get these calls that come in randomly. But typically the marketing that we do is, is specific to where we want to invest. So when we're out making an offer on a house because we want to rehab it or we want to own it as a rental, but if we already have 14 in the pipeline for rehab and add another one's just going to take six months to get to, then at that time, the best 
is something different. It's wholesale. So it kind of pivots. So I guess the, to answer your question, keep the best, sell the rest. And we define the best by what's needed now. Because with our business, you know, lots of things can happen. And, and you got to understand when you're flipping properties and doing the burst strategy, this is a several month process. You know, your typical burst strategy deal takes two to three months, you know, typically. If you're brand new, it takes six to eight because you have seasoning. But once you do it a hundred times and you get a relationship with your bankers, that will go away. But you're still looking at two to three months to buy it, rehab it, um, get it rented, have a lease in hand, and then go get a refinance, which is going to require an appraisal. A lot of steps involved, right? So keep the best, sell the rest. It just means, you know, what's going to be the best for the business right now with the current deals that are coming in. Hey, speaking of current, I know you mentioned the Corona wrench and it hasn't really thrown a wrench in your operation, but what is your outlook on the market because of Miss Rona? <laughs> uh, that's a great question. You know, I said it earlier, people are always going to have to have a place to live. That's not going to change. Uh-oh, just dropped my ring. Um, but, um, you know, prices may suffer. I mean, really what's going to happen is I think people are going to, um, not want to move around, you know, they're going to want to stay. However, the houses that we're typically buying aren't occupied. Sometimes they are, but typically they're vacant properties or they're rented properties or somebody bought a house to rehab it and they ran out of money, Right. And they just don't want it anymore. And then we'll pick it up and wholesale it or finish it and rehab it or finish it and flip it. So, you know, it, it hasn't affected the business too much. One, I'd say the major thing that affected it was our private lenders uh, were a little bit more cautious with lending because they didn't, under, they didn't know, you know, a lot of uncertainty out there. Um, but that was kind of short-lived. That lasted maybe like six or eight weeks. And that was, you know, five, six weeks ago at this point. And um, we're pretty much back to normal. You know, the retail market hasn't slowed down a whole lot at all, at least in my city. It's still booming. Um, so, you know, who's to know? But at the end of the day, when I'm wholesaling, I don't own anyway. I just control with the contract. So if the prices fell out of the market, all of my wholesale deals, I just opt out of them all. I have, a, I have CYA clauses. And they're all going to be contingent upon a final walkthrough and a partner approval. So if I can't find a buyer, then I don't buy them to begin with, right? So that's, there's no risk on the wholesale side, like literally zero if you do it right. Um, on the rentals, well, yeah, you're going to have some risk because your values may go down, but you know, that doesn't mean that your rent's going to go down and my mortgages are locked in, right? So unless my bank starts calling my mortgages, which are very unlikely because that's how they get paid and make money, very little risk there. The, the only risk we really have would be, you know, on the fix and flip side or on the short-term side where we have private money and we're waiting to refi. And the way I see it is, you know, that's a two to three month period for us to basically clean the house. And if shit really hits the fan, then we'll just start cleaning the house. Maybe we'll lose a little, but again, very low risk. Uh, we also don't use any of our own money. Now, I personally guarantee all of it, but that doesn't mean that, you know, I have to pay it back because I can refinance out. So I don't look at it as being risky. And to answer your question, I don't see any long-term effects of the coronavirus um, that's going to change me from wanting to keep buying and or solving problems by meeting motivated sellers and getting deals on properties. That's awesome. And was there anything we didn't talk about, David, today that you wanted to touch upon? Not really, guys. Not really. Um, you know, again, go check out freewholesalecourse.com if you're interested in learning how to find and talk to motivated sellers. That's where it all starts. Guys, I've been doing this 15 years. The first 10 years, I didn't know what I was doing because I was paying retail. I thought that was how real estate investing should have go down and should be done. And some still do it that way. But learn from my mistake. You know, you don't have to pay retail. You don't have to use any of your own money. Um, to buy rentals and or fix and flip. And you don't even have to buy a property to wholesale it. You have to just put it under contract and you get control. There's a difference between ownership and control. If you have control of it, you have what's called marketable title or equitable title. And you can then market that contract or that property, however you want to look at it, for sale when you don't even own it. 
So you got to understand that there's lots of creative ways to invest and get in the game. And you need to learn those ways. And once you learn those ways, all the doors will open up. Just like when you get a deal, all the doors open up. And if there's anybody out there who still hasn't read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, please go read it because you can have results like David uh, on his way to 150 properties in just his 30s. So thank That's you so right. much for being with us today, David. How can people find you if they want more? Oh, uh, yeah. Reach out to me on Instagram. That's probably the best way. I'm a... Uh... I'm, I'm pretty active on Instagram. My handle is David Allen Dodge. A-L-A-N is my middle name. I got a phone call coming in, but I'm going to mute. Sorry about that. And uh, yeah, Instagram, um, Facebook, YouTube. I'm building my YouTube channel. I just, like I was saying, I just did a three-hour live screen share of me cold calling, talking to sellers, setting appointments, making offers. I think I set two or three appointments and made 10 offers in the last three hours on that call. So if you guys want to see what that looks like, and I don't use a call script. It's very basic. I'm a human talking to other humans. You got a property you want to sell? Great. Let's, let's talk. You don't? Cool. Moving on. I mean, this isn't rocket science. It's actually incredibly simple, but most people, they get an analysis paralysis. And they, they think they need to know everything before they do anything. And my, my mindset is completely opposite jump in, start talking to people, put some properties under contract, fail. You know, maybe you put them, maybe you paid too much. Well, again, you didn't pay anything. You're just controlling deals and, you know, fail fast and you'll start getting it. And before you know it, you'll be doing deals and you'll be popping $10,000 checks. A hundred percent. And if you want to be wholesaling like David, go ahead and check out his course. It's free and his book is also available online and all of his information will be in the show notes. So thank you so much for being with us today, David. Hey, thanks for having me guys. I appreciate you uh, having me. I'm grateful for your guys' time. Hopefully you guys learned something and I provided some level of value. Again, if you want to check out wholesaling, go to my free course, free wholesale course. Dot com. Also, check me out on Instagram. And then last but not least, I have a weekly uh, texting platform that I send out tips and tricks to people. If you're interested in that, just shoot me a text to 314-501-7557. I respond to all the people that, re that, that shoot messages over daily, and I send out weekly tips and tricks. So I'd love to have you guys join that as well. That's awesome. Thank you so much, David. Thank you. Better let you get back to your call in case it's a motivated yeah. seller. That's right. That's right. Well, <laughs> hey, thanks for having me. How many listen? How many downloads you guys typically get in, in like a, day, a week or so? Uh, about two hundred. For that's like, good. Yeah, per episode. Hey, that's how long great. have you been doing your podcast? Um, uh, I've been doing mine on and off for like three years. I think we just hit like episode 198 or 199. So we're not nice. quite at 200, but we're close. Yeah. So close. And we publish every other day. We try to, sometimes there'll be a couple day gap, but typically it's every other day. So we do a lot of them. They're a lot shorter than typical. Like some of them are only eight, 10, 12 minutes. Some oh, gotcha. of them are 30, 40. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, we're doing okay. It's growing. I mean, it just takes time. You know, mm -hmm. but yeah. the cool thing about these is they're out there forever. So yeah, for sure. And good luck on your YouTube channel. Hey, thank you. I appreciate you. Thank you. Thank, thank you so you. much. Cool. Well, let's talk soon. If you gonna, if you if you want to circle back and talk about you know anything that we talked about today in more detail or more depth, I'd love to come back on the show in a month or two. It's really up to you. Uh, just let me know. I'm available. Okay. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm very passionate about it, so I would love. I to can tell. Yeah, for sure. Let's do it. All <laughs> we'll righty. Cool. Bye. Thank you. Have a great day.